This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Charlie Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Back in the early 90s, Colorado wasn't really known for craft beer. But then along came New Belgium Brewing and Fat Tire. It was an iconic amber ale that attracted fans all over the world. But this week, 32 years later, New Belgium is giving Fat Tire a whole new look and a whole new taste. The Colorado beer man himself, Jonathan Shikes of the Denver Post, is on today to explain why the Fort Collins Brewery is rebranding and reformulating their flagship beer. Today is Thursday, January 19th, 2023. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Jonathan Shikes, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks, Bree. Thanks for having me on. Jonathan, I want to start by talking about how Fat Tire became such a big deal for the beer community here. Like, why does Fat Tire matter? So Fat Tire first came out in 1991, and they, you know, Kim Jordan, who who uh, co-founded the brewery, she would go around selling, uh, she would load up her car and she would go around selling beer individually to liquor stores because you could do that um, in Colorado and putting it on tap in Denver. And um, it was a phenomenon. Breweries copied it all over the place in the, in the 90s. Everybody wanted to make a red or an amber ale. Uh, and over the years, it gained a huge amount of cachet. I remember in 2010, there was a bar in uh, maybe in Manhattan or maybe in Brooklyn, and they got fat tire and people just went bananas. And I'm not sure if they I'm not sure if they had it legally or not. They may have just bought it themselves and brought it in or maybe they got a one time permit, but it was a huge deal. And uh, New Belgium kind of kind of like Coors didn't sell east of the Mississippi for for until the 80s. Uh, New Belgium didn't sell fat tire in a whole lot of states until about two, 2016, 2017. Oh, wow. So that 2010 moment in New York was like, this was like some underground, this was some something you literally could not get. Right. Yeah. It was underground. It was a big deal. And um, they finally went to all 50 states after they opened their second big brewing facility um, on the East Coast. And, you know, I think by the time that happened, Fat Tire had become, because there were so many uh, breweries, Fat Tire had become sort of, you know, it, it sort of became uh, something for people to kick. It's a gateway beer to craft breweries. You know, if you're making the switch from Old Milwaukee to, to IPAs, you're going to go through Fat Tire first. And so, you know, people like to, to, to disparage it, but it was a, a huge, it was a huge deal for a couple of decades. And so that's why the big announcement from New Belgium this week was so surprising. Can you explain exactly what is changing about Fat Tire? So they announced this week that they were going to change the recipe, change the way the beer looked, change all of its branding. And it's essentially a, a different beer. And uh, that's a that's a big deal, I think, for a lot of people who 
who stayed in the gateway, right? They stuck with Fat Tire and they loved it. And it's a big deal from a beer history standpoint because of how important Fat Tire was. But it's a they're not the only ones to totally change a recipe and keep a name, but they're the biggest. Did that surprise you at all? Because the Fat Tire you're describing and sort of this ubiquity that I know it for, it seems precarious to make a big change to a flagship beer. Yeah, it's an interesting decision. It's got to be it's got to be purely a business decision. They, everybody's heard of fat tire, so they can't, you know, they want to keep the name, but I guess it's not selling very well. Uh, you know, I read on um, the uh, trade beer blog, uh, good beer hunting that, you know, sales are down over the last five, six years by 50% across the country, I think. So wow. nobody's, people are not buying it anymore. Well, I mean, lots of people are still buying it, but not nearly enough. And so they want people to buy it and, They've got the name already, and now they're trying to tie this um, low-carbon footprint um, story to it, and they're trying to turn it into, or they have turned it into, a much lighter beer, which is something that a lot of people, I guess, like. <laughs> you say, I guess. Is that <laughs> is that the, is that sort of the trend or the movement right now in craft beer to go towards the, the lighter styles? Craft beer was all about, you know, making bigger and bigger IPAs and, and richer and richer beers, and then... Um, it's they started leaning back in toward lagers um, seven or eight years ago and lighter because lagers are typically lighter, um, but lighter styles. A lot of people loved going to their local brewery, but they didn't want an IPA. They didn't want a big rich beer. They wanted something that tasted not too much different than the than the mass produced beers. So that is a big trend that's that's happened over the last few years. And there are a lot of people who like those really light beers, which is what Fat Tire had become and, you know, in some ways was a, was really light compared to the others. But what I've heard they turned it into is almost like a blonde ale, which is, you know, doesn't have a huge amount of flavor and, and is uh, easy drinking. A lot of people love that and a lot of people don't. <laughs> you say easy drinking and I'm like, oh, yes, that's why I only drank light beers when I did drink because it just, you could just shotgun a few in a row and... <laughs> It wasn't too heavy. Um, but, but what I'm kind of wondering is like, I think about Coors and it's it's an iconic beer known all over the world if from Colorado. Why do you think Fat Tire couldn't make it to that step and just become an iconic beer for what it is, that original recipe across the world? Well, I don't know. I mean... Across the world, people probably have heard of it. I, you know, and I'm sure they did export it. Probably, I don't know if they if they still do or not. But it was an iconic beer. It was for a long time. It just was not able to hold on to, to hold on to what it was. It could be that people were just interested in other flavors, and Fat Tire was is just always there. And your eyes go over it when you're in the liquor store or when you see it on a menu. And you say, oh, yeah, well, there's Fat Tire. Um, and then, but what else is, you know, what else have they got? What else is new? And I think a lot of the big flagship brands for a lot of these old legacy breweries, as they call them, the ones that have been around for a while, have gone through the same thing where these flagship beers just don't sell like they did. Yeah, and I'm thinking about the person who's like, looks at a menu like that and goes, well, I'll just have a course. But maybe Fat Tire sort of in this limbo of like, it's not, it's not the level of like, your grandpa will drink this, but it's also not this like hyper specific craft beer. It's kind of it's kind of in, in between. Maybe that's part of its problem. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you might be right. It, that's that's its thing. It is. It's in between. 
This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So you've talked about sort of changing tastes in the industry, also seeing this as maybe a business decision. What do you think this move for Fat Tire or the Fat Tire story says about the state of craft beer right now? I think breweries, especially the big ones, are willing to do whatever it takes to stay in business right now. They, they have to. Small, independently owned craft breweries are, you know, are doing what they need to do. Craft beer is interesting because it's it's always held itself to a little bit of a, of a different standard than, than maybe other businesses in order to stick to its kind of the unusual ethos around it. And it's um, people really want authenticity. And I think, uh, I think that's part of what sells about craft beer. The bigger companies that aren't independently owned will do whatever they need to do. They also rely somewhat on authenticity, but New Belgium is owned by a company called Little Lion right now, which is in turn owned by Kirin, which is a huge Japanese uh, conglomerate. Yeah, and I, so that's what I want to talk about too, is I'm thinking about the story you're, you shared with me about how the owners early on with New Belgium were like independent, selling this beer on their own. And then in 2013, the employees bought out those owners. And now, like you said, they're owned by Little Lion. Is Does this changing ownership structure of New Belgium have anything to do with the kinds of beers they decide to make and sell? That's a good question. Right now, the beers they are known for are all IPAs. They have this Voodoo Ranger juggernaut, and it's some of the top selling um, in the in the craft category. It's just they're they're some of the top selling beers in, in the U.S. And you know, I think that, I think that Little Lion probably gives New Belgium a decent amount of leeway because they still produce a lot of niche beers, sours, and small batch beers, and that kind of thing. But if something is a is a huge player and it's not making money, they're they're going to switch it up. And and you know, I think they would do that even if they were still independently owned. I have a feeling. So I don't know if this is an, an adequate comparison, but because it, it is a little different in that beer tastes change. There's so many types of beers, but I can't help but think changing the basic formulation of something feels a little bit like the sort of the dangerous proposition that was like new Coke in the 80s, right? When Coca-Cola was like. We're changing the flavor of the thing that you love. Do, is this not the same thing? Do you think it's because beer is just tastes do change with beer that they felt safe in in making this massive change to a flagship brand? 
I don't know if they felt safe. They they obviously felt like they needed to <laughs> to do something. <laughs> but uh, you know, I do agree. It is like New Coke, and and you know, we know what happened to New Coke. They went back to Old Coke. <laughs> right. You know, some of it is perception, and some of it is the real flavor. I mean, if you don't tell anyone you're changing something, probably half the people won't notice, and you know, and the other half will. Uh, in this case, they're you know they're obviously telling everybody, but. I don't know if you if you stuck around for Fat Tire all these years, then you stuck around because you liked the way it tasted. So, right, yeah, you know, I mean, you didn't stick around because you liked the name, you know. So I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure how it's going to work for them. I'm not a business person, so I could be very wrong. <laughs> you're you're just a person that loves beer and knows a lot about it. Yeah, it, it, to me, it seemed like a really strange strange decision. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, what beer drinkers think, what sort of the continued evolution of the industry is. But I have to ask, I I feel from this conversation that maybe you have not tasted the new fat tire because it's like literally just is just rolling out. But have you tasted the new fat tire yet? So they sent me a can of it early. They they embargoed it. Um, which uh, means you can't talk about. It. You agree if they if you agree to getting the the can in the mail, then you can't talk about it till a certain date. So we uh, at the Denver Post we agreed to not talk about it until a certain date. And and um, uh, Teeny Ricciardi, who's the, who writes about beer at, at the Post, she tried it, and <laughs> she was not not a huge fan. Uh, she's uh, she has been trained in, in beer tasting. Um, I have not tried it because. I am doing dry January. Oh. So. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever done dry January, so it, uh, yeah, awkward. But I, it's, I have the can sitting in my fridge, and I'm going to try it. Um, you know, Teeny, Teeny wasn't a fan, and, um, you know, I read uh, Axios this morning, uh, John Frank, who's also Another a terrific beer, beer taster, yeah. also not a fan. You know, he said it tasted like sweet cereal, uh, you know, a lot lighter, uh, did not have the... the uh, kind of the rich um, multi-flavor that, that uh, the old fat tire had had. Interesting. Well, you're going to have to follow up with us on, on what you thought. <laughs> well, Jonathan Shakes, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, as always, for having me on. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Gun control. With Democrats in control at the legislature, there's a lot of discussion this session on expanding the state's red flag law, new age limits for firearm purchases, and longer waiting periods. Nine News reports that the draft of one bill, the quote, Mass Shooting Prevention Act of 2023, includes a ban on the buying, selling, or possession of assault weapons. We'll definitely be watching this as the conversation evolves. And finally, more payouts for police violence. Denverite reports that this week, City Council approved a $160,000 settlement for a protester who was shot with pepper balls by Denver police during the George Floyd uprisings in 2020. This comes after Council signed off on a $325,000 settlement in a similar case and follows several years of high payouts by the City of Denver for police brutality cases. Oh, and before we go, we're still talking tacos. Like, street tacos. What's your fave spot? Is it a strip mall takeout restaurant nobody knows about? Is it a taco truck you find yourself on the hunt for every week? Let us know the purveyors of the best street tacos in the metro area by calling our taco hotline at 720-500-5418. 
Leave us a voicemail with your name, neighborhood, and street taco recommendation, and you might hear it on our next food battle. That number again is 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell the owners of Taco Celine about us next time you see them. Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. I, I don't want this to sound creepy like I am this like I'm still a raging alcoholic but like ever since Jonathan was talking about like the sweetness of the beer of beer I've been thinking about there used to be this place called the Climax Lounge that was the Raven and before that I'm sure it was some other many other amazing things um I don't know what it is now it's on Welton Street but anyway it was a reckless place in that they served demi pitchers like half pitchers of beer there were these tiny pitchers and they just gave them to you, like, without a cup. So you just, like, were wandering around a bar drinking a half pitcher. But they served Budweiser out of the tap, and I don't think they ever cleaned the taps, but it tasted, like, sweet, like beer. No Budweiser anywhere else. It was, like, the place I got Budweiser in a demi-pitcher. It's so crazy. Now that I think about it, I'm like, that's crazy to be serving people that much beer. But 